So, have you ever worried about something? I mean, anything, you know? Money, bills, maybe marriage or pregnancy or parenting, maybe school or or work, maybe retirement, maybe getting older, maybe death. Maybe you've worried about failure or mistakes. You've worried about health or safety or security. You've worried about the rising cost of living or maybe more importantly, the rising cost of bacon. It's disturbing things we have to worry about in these days. Now, just in case you're like, oh, that's what other people do, I just want you to know that in the past seven days, every single thing that I just listed has been a conversation with the membership of our church. We're worried. I've either been in that conversation with you about one of those issues, you've been in that conversation with somebody on our staff and that information has come back to us, or you have been in a group setting where these conversations have gone on. We are a worried people. So if you think you're outside, I just invited you in. And if you think you're alone, you're not. We're worried people. There are things to worry about. All of us worry about something from time to time, but have you ever worried about something that you really didn't need to worry about? Juliette Verzi is a journalist who specializes in mental health issues, and she recently shared about one of her worries When it's raining, I often find myself focusing on my car's windshield wipers and what other people think about how fast they are going. If it's sprinkling, I worry other people will laugh at me for having them on at all. If it's raining a little harder and I increase the speed, I worry people will think I'm being dramatic. When I take a step back and realize my irrational, anxious thoughts got the best of me, I laugh and remind myself I would never have to justify my windshield wiper usage. Because literally, no one cares about my windshield wipers. Been there? (laughs) Anybody get nervous, worry about your windshield wipers? Yeah. Well, Juliet, she decided to reach out and see if anybody else had any, you know, irrational, so to speak, fears and worries that they have in life. And here's just a few that were sent back to her. The cashier thinks I'm weird for buying this. If it's a collector ALF mug, it might be a little weird. So that's a bit of a strange thing, and the cashier can think that. Someone else said, I can't go to the beach because a crab will pinch my toes. If you don't know this already, the, the key to worrying about a crab pinching your toes is just to pinch your nose. That, that does away with all of it. That's not true. I made that up. <clears throat> I need to duck when I drive under a bridge to be safe. I don't know, that could help. Who knows? I'm not sure. And then one more here. They think I'm chewing too loudly. You know, you're probably okay with cream brulee, but, you know, with the ice, you know, you might want to just pay attention to how loud you are in the restaurant. Those are legitimate things that people might worry about that really it's okay not to worry about. See, sometimes what we need is we need things to help us quit worrying. Something that is an alternative thing that would help us to to not worry about what we're worrying about. So I came across a list of things for you to worry about so you can stop worrying about the things that you are worrying about, all right? Some alternative worries, all right? Here's, Here's just a few from the list. Why does Sam care so much whether someone likes green eggs and ham? That's a good thing to worry about. It'll get your mind off whatever else you're worrying about. 
Here's another one. Why do spice bottles have holes too small for the spice to get through? Legitimate question, something to worry about. This one I love. If the pointy part of a fork is a tine and the pointy part of a knife is a blade, what is the spoony part of a spoon? We want to know. Interesting questions. Last one I love. How did anyone figure out how to eat an artichoke? That's the truth. You look at that thing and you're like, why am I eating this? But somebody figured it out. Maybe artichokes do nothing for you. Maybe that's not going to help you with your worry. So what do we do with worry? What do we do about worry? The Apostle Paul is going to try to help us today. Listen to Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Paul writes, be anxious for nothing. Do not be anxious. Do not worry. <laughs> Some of you are like, yeah, I'm already done. You know, this, this sermon's over for me. You've got to be kidding me. Don't worry. Don't be anxious. That's impossible. There's, there's no way. This is, this is crazy talk. And at first glance, I, I agree with you. It, it, it seems crazy. But, but hang in there with us because we're, we're going to come back around and we're going to start here. Worrying is sin. Now you really lost me, Pastor. You just told me something that's impossible to do, and now you're piling guilt on me because you're saying that it's sin. All right, again, stay with me. We'll, we'll come back around. But it's true, worrying is sin. The, the verb that, that Paul uses here, it's, it's present imperative. It's a command. Do not be anxious. Do not worry. Someone might say, well, who's this guy to give me a command? I mean, why am I going to listen to this guy? This guy can't even keep his birth name. He used to be Saul, and now he's Paul. This guy, as he's writing this, he's, he's in prison. He made tents for a living. Why am I going to listen to a name-changing criminal tent maker? Give me a command. Why am I going to listen to this guy? Stories told about a man who went to a psychiatrist one day. He was really struggling with worry. He told him, Doc, I, I just don't know what to do. Sometimes I feel like I'm a teepee, and sometimes I feel like I'm a wigwam. Psychiatrist said, well, your problem is you're too tense. <laughs> They'll explain it at lunch. Don't worry about it. Paul commands us to not worry because worrying is sin. But why should we listen to Paul? Well, I'm just give you two reasons. The first reason is Paul is a prisoner. At any moment as he's writing this, some official can come to the door, open the door, and say, you're going to be executed tomorrow at high noon. That's something to worry about. That, that, that's something to be anxious about. From the time that Paul was saved, his life seemed to be filled with things to worry about, filled with things to be anxious about. Trials and troubles and tribulations and tragedies, they, they seemed to find him after he got saved. Don't miss that part. The Bible never tells us that following Jesus is going to make our life comfortable and fluffy. The Bible never tells us that following Jesus means we will avoid every tragedy, every trial, every trouble, and every tribulation. There are no promises like that, and Paul knew that very well. We've gone over this part of his resume before, but it seems to never lose its punch. 2 Corinthians 11, 
Paul writes, five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles. Dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship for many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. Paul lived a life full of things to worry and be anxious about. That's why we listen to his command, because he had a life full of worry and anxiety, things that would always put any of us on the edge. And yet, he says, be anxious for nothing. The second reason we listen to Paul's command is because it's not his command. He's just repeating the command. Who said it first? Luke chapter 12, verse 11, Jesus speaking to his disciples said, when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not worry about how or what you are to speak in your defense, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. So Jesus says, when you get arrested for being a Christian, don't worry about what you're going to say. Don't, don't worry. When you get arrested for being a Christian, don't worry. All right, let me just say, if any of us for, were arrested for anything, we would probably worry. But Jesus says, when you're arrested because you're following me, don't, don't worry. Now, I want you to think about whatever it is that you've been worried about this week. And I'm pretty sure, at least for everyone in this room, that none of us had to worry about being arrested for being a Christian. And so that just gives us some perspective that, that when we're reading from someone like Paul or when we're hearing the words of Jesus or when we're looking through the writings of Peter, we're looking at these biblical characters and these people who face deep persecution, deep torture, deep things. And, and they are the ones who repeatedly say to us, hey, do not worry. Do not be anxious. It gives some perspective to the things that we worry about. Jesus was talking directly to his disciples when he just said that, but, but the Bible says there were thousands of people around listening to him teach. And just a few moments later, he said this, Luke 12, beginning in verse 23, do not worry about your life as to what you will eat, nor for your body as to what you will put on, for life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap. They have no storeroom nor barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable you are than the birds. And then he said this, and which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his lifespan? The answer is none of us. None of us can add anything by worrying. If then you cannot do even a very little thing, why do you worry about other matters? Remember who Jesus is talking to. He's, he's talking to thousands of people, but among the thousands, there's these 12 guys who have left their jobs their careers, their normal way of life to follow after Jesus. 
Those are guys probably thinking, hey, I don't know how I'm going to put food on the table. I'm not sure how I'm going to pay my bills. I don't know how following Jesus is going to impact my retirement. Ever have any questions like that? Or maybe your questions and things that you're worried about are more connected to your, your score on Fortnite, you know. Maybe you're more worried about that girl liking you or that boy liking you. Maybe you're more worried about getting into college or getting on the dean's list or or getting married or getting a good job or getting a new car. There's all kind of things that we might worry about. There's all kind of things that we might face in life that might cause some anxiety. But regardless of what we worry about, the message from Jesus is still very clear. Do not worry. Do not worry. Be anxious. That command means that worrying is sin if Jesus says, don't do it. But let's think through this just a little more. Now remember, this verb that Paul and Jesus are using is what's known as a present imperative, but it also is something called, it's, it's with a negative. So this present imperative with a negative, that means stop doing this. Stop doing this. So what Jesus is saying and what Paul is saying is if you are worrying, stop it. If you are being anxious, stop it. Now that's, that's easier said than done, right? Think about it this way. Are we going to worry? Yes, we're going to worry. We're not perfect. We, we can't perfectly avoid all sin. So so we're going to worry from time to time. There's things are going to come up and and we're going to be anxious. But the picture here is there's a difference between worry and worrying. Let's see if I can give a random example here. If I go to the Pink Dipper ice cream parlor in North Augusta, South Carolina, which I did this week to reward myself for driving my dad to his cardiologist appointment, and I walk in there and, and I order two scoops of Superman ice cream. And the person behind the counter says, I'm sorry, we're, we're out of Superman. I, I'm going to worry. I, I'm going to worry. I'm going to worry first that whoever is in charge of reordering ice cream did not notice that Superman was getting low. Or if they did, I'm going to worry that they didn't see the urgency of placing a new order to get the Superman in there. See, for the better part of more than 40 years now, every time I have been in the Pink Dipper, I always order Superman. So the, the concept that they wouldn't have any, it's, it's a little nerve-wracking. I would, I would worry. But I wouldn't start worrying. Let me explain. I might worry <laughs> that Superman's not there. But you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to step back and I'm going to go, hmm. There's about 25 other flavors here. I think I'm just going to go with cookies of cream or cotton candy explosion, and I'm going to be okay, you know. I'm not going to start worrying. See, there's a little bit of a difference in worry and worrying. Worry is something that you do almost momentarily. Worrying is something that you're doing, and you're doing, and you're doing, and you're doing. Someone might say, your ice cream thing is dumb, you know. Nobody worries about ice cream. Look, if people worry about the speed of windshield wipers, somebody's worrying about ice cream, right? But it is true. Worrying about ice cream and worrying about a test result from the doctor, 
not the same thing. It's, it's not the same thing. But here's the thing. The command from Jesus, repeated by Paul, still the same. Do not be anxious for anything. Stop. Stop being anxious. Stop worrying. Again, easier said than done, right? Let's just think about the word worry itself for just a moment. The word worry in its etymological family has some old high German that means to strangle. <laughs> worry means to strangle. I, I can go with that, right? I mean, that's what worry does to us, right? That's what anxious worry does. It, it strangles us. Listen to what Webster says. This is the second definition in Webster. Worry is to harass by tearing, biting, or snapping, especially at the throat. That's a definition for worry. How many times have you been harassed this week by your own worry, by your own anxiety? How many times has, have you felt just choked and strangled by the things you were worried about? Warren Wiersbe said this, worry has definite physical consequences, headaches, neck pains, ulcers, even back pains. Worry affects our thinking, our digestion, and even our coordination. He's right. <laughs> From personal experience, I can tell you he's right. I've shared this with some of y'all before in, in private conversation, but, but I was the guy who never worried about anything, ever. I'm serious. I woke up in the morning. I was like, all right, God, where are we going today? Woo, let's go. Come on. I was pumped. I was excited when I got up. I was pumped and excited all day long. I went to bed pumped and excited. And then somewhere around the age of 35, just a lot of different things happened. And for the first time in my life, I started experiencing worry and anxiety. And I'll just tell you, it feels like that worry and anxiety have been strangling me for 10 years. So I'm not up here preaching a sermon. I'm not trying to hear myself. And Wiersbe's right. It affects everything in your body, in your mind, in your life. So what do we do? Well, for the next three Sundays, we're going to look at that, and and you'll hear some of the things that, that I've learned and that God has taught me and that he's teaching me. But Paul gives us the primary two things that we can use for worry and anxiety. Listen to what he says in the rest of verse 6. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God. Very simply, the cure for worry is worship. The cure for worry is worship. Not, Not on stage, not just singing, not just being in this room, but a life of worship and worship through prayer and thanksgiving. Learning to pray praying, learning to be thankful, and being thankful. Those are the keys to dealing with worry and anxiety. We're going to pack those hopefully in a clear way over the next two Sundays, but, but for this morning, let me just give a, a prelude to the concepts of prayer and thanksgiving, and, and maybe the gasoline or the fuel for our hearts and our minds as we pray and as we pursue a life of being thankful. And that is this, when we are worrying, when we are anxious, what we need to do is preach the gospel to ourselves. What does that mean? Well, it means that you can't wait till next Sunday for a sermon. It means that all of us are preachers. 
And we're all preaching a message to ourselves. We're either preaching the gospel to ourselves or we're preaching some other message. Sometimes the message you are preaching to yourself is worry and anxiety. Sometimes the message you're preaching to yourself is is fear or anger or frustration or silliness or apathy or stubbornness or arrogance or pride. But make no mistake, we are always preaching something to ourselves all the time. You are always preaching to yourself. I am always preaching to myself. So what does it mean to preach the gospel to yourself? Well, Jerry Bridges has a a very effective rendition and description in his book, The Discipline of Grace. I'm going to try to read these slowly, and, and I want you to be a huge sponge with each of these. This is what he writes. To preach the gospel to yourself means that you continually face up to your own sinfulness and then flee to Jesus through faith in his shed blood and righteous life. It means that you appropriate, again by faith, the fact that Jesus fully satisfied the law of God that he is your propitiation and that God's holy wrath is no longer directed toward you. That's what you preach at the doctor's office. That's what you preach in traffic. In that moment, you preach to yourself, God's holy wrath is no longer directed at me here on I-26. Jesus has rescued my soul. That's how you preach the gospel to yourself. He goes on. To preach the gospel to yourself means that you take at face value the precious words of Romans 4, 7 through 8. Blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. He goes on. Preaching to yourself means you believe that Christ redeemed you from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for you. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. It means you believe he forgave you all your sins and now presents you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. It means that you dwell upon the promise that God has removed your transgressions from you as far as the east is from the west, that he has blotted out your transgressions and remembers your sin no more. Christian, preach that sermon to yourself all day, every day. I want you to know in the last few weeks, I have been in the hospital, I have been in homes, I have sat around believers that in their most dire moments were preaching this not just to themselves, but to everybody in the room. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not a fairy tale. It is the power of salvation for those who believe, and to see someone whose life is fading away, grip and hold to the gospel is something that should affect us when we're stuck in traffic. To see people that we know cling to Jesus 
in their dying breath and in their dire moments should help us when the bill is higher than we thought it was. Can certain kind of kinds of medication help us with anxiety and worry? Sure, they might be able to help. Can exercise and, and diet and watching less reality TV probably help you a little bit with worry and anxiety? Yeah, they probably can. But the full and final and ultimate reality is that for your heart and mind to be free from worry and anxiety, even, even if just for five minutes or 30 minutes or an hour, just, just fighting through that, the full and final way for your heart and mind to be free is for your heart and mind to know that God holds your sins against you no more. That you are in Christ. And if your heart and mind own and love and embrace and believe and realize that you are in Christ, your soul will be well. The only way for your soul to be well, your soul to be well, is to have confidence that you are in Christ and that you are forgiven. So how often do we need to preach the gospel to ourselves? Well, how often are you worried and anxious? I, I'm so thankful for the psalmist. Because see, here's what happens. The enemy, all week long, he will tease us and tempt us to worship our worry. Does to me every week. Man, you think, you know, for me, it's like, Budget time, it's deacon time, it's end of the year time, it's sermon time, it's two kids in college time. It's, I mean, yeah, I'm spent, you know. I, I have a mass of things causing me to worry and be anxious. And, and yet, the enemy says, hey, Dow, I want you to worship your anxiety this week. Let's do that all week long. I want you to worship it. I want you to worship your anxiety when the budget won't print right. Freak out, Dow. Worry. That's what I want you to do. See, that, that's how the enemy comes after me. I don't know how he comes after you, but he comes after you whether you admit it or not. And here's what we have. We have these real people, people like me, people like you. They didn't have a copier, and they weren't at the hospital, and they weren't in a big plant where the machine didn't work. But they still had real worry and real anxiety. And you know what they did? Sometimes in the middle of their worry and their anxiety, they went, oh, yeah, I forgot. I'm a child of the king. Listen to what the psalmist says. Psalm 43, verse 5. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why are you disturbed within me? And here it is. Oh, hope in God. For I shall again praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. You know what the psalmist just told us? He said, you know what? You can obey Jesus, and you can obey the command that Paul's repeating from Jesus. You really can stop worrying. You, you really can. How? Because through the power of the gospel that you're preaching to yourself over and over again, and through the kind work of the Holy Spirit, here's what can happen. You really can at any moment stop worrying and start hoping. I, I promise you can. I, I, I'm living proof of, of proof of learning this day after day after day. 
It's not perfect. We'll never do it perfect. But you can stop worrying and you can start hoping because the gospel is that powerful. It's that powerful. So what are you worrying about? I'm going to ask you this question every Sunday for the next three Sundays. What are you worrying about this week? What are you worrying about that in light of this command from Jesus and the repeat from Paul, what are you worrying about that you need to stop worrying about? What is that one thing you're worrying about right now that because Jesus has taken care of the curse of the law and you have been set free from your sin, your transgressions are no longer held against you, what is it that you're worrying about because of that that you need to stop? Start, start making a list. I'll give you mine. Things I need to stop worrying about. I need to stop worrying about my wife becoming who she needs to be. I need to stop worrying about my sons becoming who they need to be. I need to stop worrying about my daughters making their way in college. I need to stop worrying about Holland Avenue Baptist Church. God does not need Dow Welsh or a single other person in this room to make Holland Avenue Baptist Church survive and thrive. He just doesn't need us. But don't miss this. You're here. I'm here. God in his sovereignty has brought us together at this church in this time in history to love each other, to glorify him, to make much of Jesus. This is an amazing honor and privilege. We get to do this. We get to be a part of this church. We get to be part of his church together. I pray that we would own that and love that and be excited about that in the same way that we cheer our teams on Saturdays or on Fridays or on Sundays, whatever team you have. That if, if you're apathetic, if you're just here on Sunday mornings and you're loosely connected, man, I, I want to I beg and plead, man, come on in. Join in with us. Be involved more. Be, be a part of what God is doing. And if you're whiny and you're negative and, and you don't like anything that's going on, man, I, I beg you and plead you, come on, join in with us, you know. Let, let's just be that place that we become the church that we realize we're alive today. God brought us here today. We're part of this church now. And every generation before us, they were here then, but we're here now. And God has given us the gospel to encourage each other. God has given us the gospel to encourage people in this community. God has given us the beauty of Jesus Christ to set us free from worry and anxiety. Let's do that together. Let's do that together. Whatever your one thing is, get after it this week. And the next week, maybe you'll have a new one. And the week after that, we'll have a new one. And that's okay. But, but we don't want to come to the Holland Avenue Baptist Church Country Club and just hang out and have fun. We want to hear Jesus, the Messiah, the Apostle Paul, other saints say, hey, you know what? Don't be anxious. We thought we were going to be beheaded. We thought we were going to be executed. We thought we were going to be persecuted. We learn how not to worry because our Savior is real and true. So as we always try to do, what does this look like in real life? Elizabeth Turnage is a wife and mom, mother-in-law, author and teacher. If I have my timeline right, back in June, their apparently healthy 22-year-old son suddenly 
they found that he had a brain tumor. And this is what she said. Have you ever been there in the waiting room of a health crisis? If you haven't, you know someone who has, someone who has experienced the heart-pounding, stomach-souring, head-throbbing anxiety of the wait. Some of us have been there, but we know people that have if we haven't. She goes on. As the minutes tick by in the waiting room, your mind trips through the troubling what-ifs. What if it's cancer? What if I lose my job? What if I can't lift my grandchildren? What if my son is going to die? Our son's brain tumor diagnosis coincided with my 83-year-old father's battle with stage 4 prostate cancer. Already my father's primary caregiver, I now became my son's as well. That sounds like a moment to worry. That sounds like a moment to, to be anxious. This is what she says. Passing hundreds of harsh hours in multiple waiting rooms, I was met again and again with the hope of the gospel. How? How was she met with the hope of the gospel over and over again in those harsh hours? This is what she says. In the uncertainty of a health crisis, the following gospel realities can calm our anxious hearts, bringing us peace and hope. I'm just going to list these real quick and, and just share one other thing that she says. But, but the whole article, you can find a link to it at the end of my sermon notes on the website later today. And you can also find a link to her book, of devotions about being in the waiting room. Both, both are excellent. So here are the four things that she lists. These are the things that bring hope in the uncertainty of a health crisis. Nothing can separate us from God's love. God rules over everything, including every hair of our heads. In Jesus Christ, we have forgiveness for sins, and Jesus is near. I'm just, just going to repeat those. Again, under the blanket, in the uncertainty of a health crisis. Nothing can separate us from God's love. God rules over everything, including every hair of our heads. In Jesus Christ, we have forgiveness for sins, and Jesus is near. We said that last week too, right? Jesus is near, the Lord is near. What does that mean? Well, Elizabeth tells us. Listen to this part of her story. During our son's third surgery, which was unexpected and therefore left me alone in the waiting room, my anxiety skyrocketed. Waiting to hear whether the infection in the wound had spread to his brain, my heart beat so rapidly that my Apple Watch urged me to breathe. <laughs> That's up. She says this. I chose instead to pop in my earbuds and listen to the hymn, Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus. Listen to this. As I listened, Jesus' peace washed over me, soothing me as a mother soothes her panicked baby. Now, most of us have been in that moment where we have watched a screaming baby go to mom or grandmom or whoever it might be, and, and we've watched that baby go from screaming to just calm. Can you imagine this moment? I mean, I was feeling her moment. Anxiety skyrocketing. Her Apple Watch is going off. She puts in her earbuds. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Jesus, 
Jesus, how I trust you, how I've already proved you over and over and over again, and you've already proved yourself to me, even if nothing else than dying for my sin. And that song and that truth rocked her out of panic as a mother rocks her baby. She goes on to say this. This anxious season in the waiting room, it won't go on forever. One day Christ will come back and our deepest hopes will be fulfilled as he makes all broken brains and hearts and limbs new. In that day, God will dwell with his people and we will know true and lasting peace. Friend, if you are in Christ, be anxious for nothing because the waiting room of worry will not be forever. And if you are in Christ, do not be anxious. Stop worrying because the Lord is near. The Lord is near.